Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for our weekly Talking Footy episode. And the Talking Footy episode this week is number five. Got a huge, huge run sheet of topics to go through this week. But if you are new to the Talking Footy episodes, no super coach in these ones. The super coach only ones you can catch us dropping on a Wednesday for, after the TLT on the Tuesday. And you can hear all about Supercoach every Wednesday from the NRL All-Stars podcast. On the Fridays, you're going to get the Talking Footy episodes, which is just all about what's been going on in footy for the past week, all the current news, our takes on it, revol- revolving guests on to talk to me about footy and what's happening. But also, we like to go over some old topics too. And, uh, you know, we've got some interesting ones today, like also who might be the next immortal and things like that. So... Love the footy discussion as well as the super coach discussion. Tune into both of them when you can. But for this one, you know, the last two, we've had Perso on the last Talking Footy episode. That was great. We had Wilfred on before that, which was a big Broncos episode. So that worked out really well. But after a three-week hiatus, we've got Luke Garrity back on this one. So, Luke, welcome back, mate. Good to be here, mate. Uh, obviously, the Knights are undefeated, so I've been waiting. I thought I wouldn't get the call until we lost a game. Uh, I didn't think you'd be able to put up with me, but I'm glad to get on here <laughs> while they're top of the table still. Yeah, your nights have been going really well, haven't they? It is a shame. I, I sort of thought after <laughs> round two, you would have got the loss and it would have worked out okay. But, you know, <laughs> the footy god didn't smile on me. <laughs> That's right. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on top of the world and very happy to be here. <laughs> well, Luke's, if you don't know or you're listening for the first time, also co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, which looks at some old games and does some reviews of them and talks about them, everything from the 80s, 90s, 2000s and pretty much everything, which is a great podcast to listen to as well. So you can have a look at that one. And Luke's also an avid jersey collector. I'm sure you can find him on Instagram because there's not that many people that are fanatical jersey collectors like Luke. He's got an amazing collection, Luke. I like your, your must be pretty close to the second wardrobe coming in. Yeah, pretty much. I've got the spare room dedicated to it at the moment. There's about 150 of them in there from the 80s and 90s. So it's um, my wife's not a huge fan of it, to be honest. And at some point, I think it will have to be removed from taking up our entire spare room. But I'm going to keep running it while it lasts. I've just slowly built on it over time, um, sort of incrementally made it worse and worse. And uh, we'll see when the tipping point comes, probably soon. <laughs> Do you want to give your Instagram a plug to get some followers to sell your jerseys? Or you'd uh, rather not? I'll get on there. Gaz's vintage jerseys. Just come and appreciate them. I've put all the jerseys up there from the 80s and 90s, all the clubs, all the weird and wacky ones from back in the day. You get um, Go down there and have a chat with me, anyone who loves their jerseys. Nice, nice, nice. Well, look, today's run sheet, we've got five topics that we're going to go through with a fine-tooth comb. The first one, though, is that we have to have our round, round up, round two, done and dusted. I think after two games of footy, you get to see a lot more uh, from teams. You can see whether... Yeah, trends are continuing from round one and it's probably more solidified that that might be how teams are going to keep performing. You can also kind of see if you thought round one looked a bit weird for some teams and their performances and rotations, round two might actually you know straighten that out and we get to see really what teams will look like. Uh, but round two, Luke, it's interesting. I did mention on the Supercoach podcast, but obviously some people just like to listen to the footy one and, and don't listen to the Supercoach. But since 2010... You know, we haven't had a year where the first two rounds of NRL footy have had this close a margin of victory between the two teams. It has been immensely close and it has been pretty ridiculous that after 16 games of football, we only have one team that's actually scored 30 plus. 
We also have teams winning games by only scoring 6, 11, 15 and 16 points the last couple of weeks. So uh, I think that the, we can really acknowledge now that the, the rules have been tightened up a little bit to not allow as much free reign or as much roll on with teams scoring points. So that's definitely hurt some teams and we've seen it with Manly. Um, certainly, you know, the Roosters touched up Manly a little bit, uh, but Manly have now only scored 12 points in round two uh, and six in round one to 18 points for a team that set records with the amount of points that were scored. So that was one of the big takeaways for me from round two. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think a, a lot of teams, uh, the middle of it and lower on the table, deserve a lot of credit, actually, because I came into this year like a lot of people thinking that the, maybe six of the top eight were set in stone and there was going to be a very big gap to the top and the bottom. Um, and it's an early, it's a short sample size and it might, it might still end up that way. But on what we've seen so far, I think the coaches and teams lower on the table deserve quite a bit of credit for coming into this season and the rules have changed it as well, but they've come in and been able to find ways to compete and find thing, ways to do things better than they did last year. And we've seen a lot of good games because I don't think I've watched it and I've thought it's been good football. I didn't find most of the games to be boring or WrestleMania like they were a few years ago. I think they're close because teams have improved a bit or a couple of top teams have dropped off a bit. And I think that's a really good thing. I'd, I'd love to, I'm tipping this week and I, I look at all the games and I'm like, I don't know who's going to win any of them. I could get all of these wrong. And that's great. That's good for football. I felt last year mm. when you're in tipping comps, you, you would lose ground by getting six out of eight because you could just genuinely tip seven of them without looking most weeks um, on the favorites would win. So I, I, I've been really impressed this year with the way some of the teams have gone. Um, even Penrith who were undefeated were pushed by St George and there's been a few examples of teams that have won but been pushed and I think that's really good for the game and I, I hope it I hope it stays together I think the quality's been good and they've got a good balance at the moment between the all-out attack and the the old days where it was a bit defensive and, and wrestle-centric I think we're in a good middle ground for now and I hope, I hope the refs keep at it and the teams keep going well yeah, I agree. And I think it's a really good point on the balance. Um, round two, after the round finished, I really thought like the balance is a lot better than what it has been for probably at least five years, really, but even a decade. Like I think the early 2000s had a pretty good balance um, and it felt like, you know, you want to feel like you're watching a game of football and you're not really interrupted. And it's just, you get to see 80 minutes of footy played and then go out of the game and it's sort of, you know, you feel like you've watched the game of footy, whereas I feel like the last five years in particular, it's very much been different um, month to month or year to year on how it's been governed and refereed and the rules and things and also how the matches have flowed. You could, you know, you talk about teams attack sometimes and it looks clunky. I thought the games have looked clunky at times the last five years. Mm. And what you really want is... You know, free-flowing isn't the right word because people talk about a free-flowing game and what they're really talking about is wanting to see, you know, heaps of people getting into space and heaps of tries and ball getting thrown around left to right everywhere and whatever. It's not really that, but free-flowing footy is that you just have uninterrupted footy where the refs let the game be played out a little bit more and the teams actually get a chance to win the game and to take it rather than, you know, have it lost on, on not necessarily decisions, but the way the game's actually being run. Uh, and I think that the really good point in that in round two was the South and Melbourne game. Like Melbourne were red hot in the first 20. And I think if this game had been played last year, Melbourne would have put 40 points on South and won by a huge margin. But because of the, the style of football and the few rule tweaks and interpretation tweaks and how it's being run, and also Melbourne obviously fell off a little bit, but South obviously got back into it. You know, South won that second half, really. Melbourne ultimately won the game 15-14. But Melbourne blitzed them the first 20 minutes and South was still able to 
get in the arm wrestle. And if they wanted to try and take the win, they had the opportunity to do it. And that's something that I thought we haven't really seen enough of the last few years. And that to me is rugby league. Like that's what I want to see. I agree to wholeheartedly. I thought the same in the Roosters Manly game is I know Roosters got them comfortably in the end, but I thought when I watched Melbourne and I watched East in the first 20 minutes, all I could think as a fan who's watched last year and the year before was that this is a routing. Um, And as a super coach fan who doesn't own many Roosters, I was going, oh crap, like Kiri and Walker (laughs) are going to end up on, this is one of those 150 days um, where they all, and as a guy who has a lot of Melbourne players, I was like, yes, they're all going to get 150 today. It was because that's what's happened the last two years that that, um, particularly last year, like you said, those starts just mean it's game over and, and one team wins by 50. And whilst Manly didn't come back in the same way South did, they didn't get routed in the way it looked like. They were able to, they mounted a bit of a comeback at various points and just weren't good enough to pull it off, but they had chances to get right back in the game and made a bit of a run. It didn't come off. East defended it and, and, and ended up winning. And I thought the same thing there, that there was a bit more ebb and flow in the game where East came out hard and got on top. Manly wrestled back some momentum, but couldn't actually score the points. It did, momentum doesn't equal points. You could have all the momentum and still be kept out. And then East came over the top and, and the South one was a great example, like you said. So I, I've really enjoyed that, that you can, it doesn't feel like the game is set in one way after 20 or 25 minutes anymore. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's really good. And it's again, it's early days. It's too early to sort of, you know, still got time to stuff too up, upbeat, but yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> And, and, you know, and teams do as well. It's all very well to say the teams are doing well at the moment, but it's a depth is going to be tested with COVID and injuries and everything else. So some of those teams down the bottom could still well drop back to where they were last year. Um, Brisbane and Newcastle were both two from two last year, for example. Mm. And, you know, the things like this happen. So we can't crow too quickly, but at the moment it's all looking really good. So we should be positive about it. Yeah, it is very positive. Five out of eight games for a few stats were decided by six or less points. Out of, mm-hmm. And out of that as well, we had four out of those eight games decided by four or less points. Three out of eight decided by two or less points. That is really tight contests. And, you know, not very many of those 13 plus type of routings. We only had a couple of those, which were one where the Roosters obviously ran away with it against Manly. But the other one that we're going to have to mention, and we may as well get out of the way now, was the Knights were the biggest winners on the weekend. <laughs> 26 to four versus Tigers, really the only true routing, although Canberra really got run up as well, but that was more the last sort of 15 minutes, 20 minutes. But the Knights were really, you know, strong from the finish to the end. And really the Tigers were pretty hapless. So Ponga wasn't playing for Knights. Um, the Knights obviously started well, but without Ponga, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. And it can't be understated that you're also miss, missing Clemmer and Daniel Saifidi as well for some time. So, I didn't, the Tigers were okay round one. I didn't expect that type of routing round two considering you're out. So you must be pretty happy with round two as a Newcastle fan too and how they're actually looking. Uh, I, I didn't think that their attackers turned around as much as it needs to, but I certainly see differences and certainly more ball movement and things that maybe weren't there last year. And, you know, I have to give props to guys like Clune. You know, I thought Clune was a solid uh, a reserve grade backup if you needed him, but he's you know provided some direction there and gone better. I, I never really rated Clifford that much, but he's young enough where I was happy to change my mind, and he's been a really good player the first two weeks. So that's why you've won without Kalen Ponga there. And really, Kalen Ponga, I didn't think was the guy leading the ship on on the round one win either. No, I didn't think Ponga did much in round one. It's a travesty. He got two. I have no idea how he ended up getting two Dally M points. It was absolutely mental. It really <laughs> bothers me how they do those. It was Dane Gago got none in that game. 
which is unbelievable. <laughs> he absolutely stomps East. I won't, don't get me on the Dally M points, but anyone who go watch that game and tell me how he got none and Ponga got two, fair dinkum. But um, no, no, I'm thrilled. Um, you know, Safidi's the origin prop. Clem is a former test prop and, and, and Pong is pretty indisputably our best player. So I think Frizzell might be pretty high on the list of paid players. So we've got three of our top four highest paid players out. Braley's also out, who'd be in the top yep. five. So probably four of our top five highest paid all didn't play. Um, last year, the Tigers beat us twice. So that probably tells you what you need to know. Um, and I'm really happy with it. It's I think they're going very well. Uh, I'm, I'm happy if Clune plays like this much longer, I'm happy to write a full mea culpa about things I said about him. He looks really good <laughs> at the moment. And I'm not prepared to, you know, sort of give him the, the Dally M halfback of the year yet. I do want to see it continue. But I'm, I'm pretty happy. They're, they're, I do see a lot of differences in the attack. If you watch them, they're playing what the Johnses call shot-shot football, which is basically that you swing it to one edge and have a crack at them. Um, you win the middle, so you get a good – you basically just take a big hit up in the middle and get the momentum. You swing it to one edge, and if it doesn't work, if you don't score, you immediately go to the other side. And it's just really opening up attacking players. Is that So they're hitting them on the left edge through Fitzgibbon a lot or Bradman best, and then they're just going three passes across the entire field where inevitably there is room. If you've made a good run on the left, they go all the way to the right. And if you look at who they got there, they've got Clifford, who's good off the cuff, they've got Frizzell, and they've got Gaga. So – they're just basically their set plays don't look amazing yet, and they're a little clunky. But they're basically running a style of play, which means you get some momentum, you go to one side, and then you go all the way back to the other side and take a shot at them. And it's getting the ball into the hands of Tyson Frizzell. It's getting it to Dan Gay guy. It's getting it to Best on the other side, and I really like it. Um, what you see most teams do, and bad teams in particular, is setting up for a play. So they they basically take a shot on an edge, they swing it wide, and then they reset in the middle on a reset and go again. So instead of that, Newcastle is trying to go at one edge and go immediately to the other side. And it's just putting the hand, the ball in the hands of guys that have something to offer. It got gay guy on Billy Smith a lot and he, he bathed him. It got, it's got, you know, this, this week it got Frizzell over a couple of weaker guys and it's bringing out the best in Clifford as a running five, eight. So they've got a long way to go. And I'm, I'm not, not, I am driving to Bathurst this week to watch them. So you might say I'm a bit over, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. But it's a long way to go yet, but they're giving themselves a chance here, which is to basically get early ball into the hands of good players and to take double attacking shots at teams in the same set, which is you don't see enough of in the NRL anymore. And it, it works. It's, it's bringing out the best in players that we don't often see when you look at structured football. I think across the NRL too often, you see guys not get the ball where they should enough. Um, the Titans are a good example at the moment. I'm, they, they play a great brand of football, don't get me wrong, but you watch times and you go, they're just not using David Fafita properly. And we watch other teams where you could say the same. Um, Penrith a few years ago before they got really good, you'd just go, why isn't Kickout getting the ball or why isn't this happening? And um, that's something that Newcastle's worked hard on under Andrew Johns this year is to get the ball in the right spots to good players. And that's the basics of the game, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and it's also like with the with that style of attack, like, I've felt pretty stupid the last decade as as a football fan and someone who's, you know, played and feels like I know a little bit about the game because I feel like I don't know anything because the the set, not necessarily set plays, but the attack from teams is just stuff that I don't think works very well for the majority. Like, obviously, the top teams, it works out fine and you have some different variants of the attack, but half the league just seems to... Like I, I imagine the video sessions for the top teams is really easy. Mm. Like you can spend like 20 minutes and go, right, this is what the Tigers are going to do. Okay. And they're going to do that 80% of the time. 
So, you know, yeah. and it's it's really that easy. And it's the sort of stuff that's just so boring where it's like, okay, we're going to take three hit-ups, then we're going to um, maybe take another one back the other way, one pass off the ruck or two passes, and then we're going to go for a wide swing with a double block play, and then we're going to put the ball in the air. You know, it's it's the same all the time. And it, it really changes. And to me, I've always thought my entire life playing footy, some of the best attack is when you vary it and when you allow your football players to actually play football, which is another thing that I don't like, you know, and, and something that probably is why guys like Clifford and stuff are playing better because mm. you can allow them to play more footy and you can, it's a sort of attack where you can play a lot more with what's in front of you and you need to be able to make those calls to vary it. You can't be stuck in plays. What the Knights are doing is great because to me, the attack for a football team is best when you're looking at it going, okay, sometimes you are going to hammer aside and you'll see some of the all-time great players you know, they'll, they'll hammer aside and they'll go, no, we're not going to swing it. We're going to keep hammering because they can read the defensive line and mm. see that they're really struggling to keep up. Other times you'll see really great players hammer one side and it swings all the defence across and they swing it right back the other side. And Joey Johns was great at doing that because they know that the defence has collapsed into the left and they're going to go all the way back to the right to really move them around. And if they don't get a result, what that also does is it makes teams tired. So all of a sudden you'll get the result from that maybe five, 10 minutes down yeah. the track. But being able to make those decisions on the fly and actually vary, you know, how many times you're going to hit a side, how you're going to hit a side, where you're going to swing it and just throwing the ball really, really helps you play footy and really helps your playmakers. But it also really hurts a defensive team and makes it really hard for them to do a video session and know what you're going to do. And that's footy to me. You know, it just has always made so yeah. much sense. So I love what they're trying to do. I agree 100%. It's what's very easy to defend is shape. So, because that's all you see. If you go to training, you run your shapes at your defense, like the, the right edge defends the left edge at training, right? And they run the shape and the shape and vice versa. So, when you get in the, the game and run a block shape, everyone knows where Kalen Ponger is on a block shape or, or James Tedesco or whoever else. And they know when they're going to get the ball, where they're going to get the ball. And they're used to those patterns and they react according to seeing that a lot. Um, when you play a game style, which is to basically put the ball with space in the hands of guys with athletic ability, there's actually not a defensive plan for that. Um, I don't care if you're the Roosters or Melbourne or, you know, Penrith. If, if, if you run through the middle of the ruck and create room and you go to an edge and take a big shot and the defence line is scrambled, if you spread the ball wide and put it in the hands of Kikau or Frizzell or Dane Gate, like big athletic people, there's not actually a defensive plan that works on that at all because what do you do? And that, that's what we're sort of talking about. If you, if you win those battles and shift the ball around and find space with big athletic players, all you can do is do your best to tackle them and you've only got to score three or four times a game. You miss them three or four times and that's, that's the lost game, right? Yep. And the NRL's full of those guys and Fafita's one where they could be using him a lot, a lot better. Um, in that in that mold, though I, I like a lot of other things about their attack, but you get the ball to athletic guys with some room, and it's why, for example, the peak Melbourne Storm, it's one of the best teams in the last couple of decades, always used to have trouble in finals sometimes with teams like the Warriors because you can do all the defensive structures and practice you like, but when Sean Johnson was getting the ball off quick rocks, what's the what's the plan? You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's no defensive structure that can be I'm one-on-one with Sean Johnson and I'm going to do what? I've just got to hope he doesn't beat me. And that's where Newcastle's done well is they've got Clifford and um, who's got a bit of athletic ability, but not a great allowed of game management. He's always been poor. They're getting him the ball a lot in three on threes with a bit of space where he can grab it for himself or throw a long pass and, and have these threats around. And 
Again, it's early days for Newcastle, but regardless of whether it works out for them, I think it is a good, it's really good football and it's what all teams um, and the top teams probably do anyway, but it's what a lot of teams lower on the table should be looking to do is just set up the ball to give it to the strike players they've got in their team and stop trying to copy, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people are just copying whatever worked for Cooper Cronk or that sort of player, but they're running Clune or Brooks or whatever else. And it just doesn't work for you if you don't, mm. you can't out, Beat you can't beat Melbourne or, or or Penrith at the moment with Cleary by trying to play exactly like Penrith but without Nathan Cleary, yep. or to play exactly like Melbourne but without Cooper Cronk. If you run the same plan as Penrith with Adam Clune v Cleary and try and out Cleary them, what's going to happen? Um, you know what I mean? But if you run against them and run a play where you're like, well, we don't have Nathan Cleary, but what we can do is shift the ball around and get Tyson Frizzell one on one all the time and get Gay Guy and Best one on one all the time. Well, hang on, game on, and that's. It's a good promising start. Um, I'll, I'll stop talking about them for a while for you, but I think just in general, regardless of whether it works for them, it's great to see it back in the league a little bit, and I hope some teams take notice lower on the table. Yeah, I want to see teams doing it, and I think that they really need to be. And it's also just about teams playing what's in front of them, and it's a bit of a cliche term to use, mm. and it's probably overused a little bit more than what it should be, but in this instance, it's valid. You know, you've got so many examples, and the worst one is when you see teams the last couple of years in particular, when sin bins have been up, you know, someone gets sin binned and they take a kick 20 metres out to take two points. And it's just, it just kills me because it's just yeah, looking mm. as the playmakers and leaders in that football team should be looking at the defensive line and saying, are these guys weak? Where are they weak? Are they shot? Is this where we need to go? Yeah. And like, you know, when you take the two points is when you see a really strong staunch defensive line in front of you and you're not sure that you're going to be able to score a try. And it's probably better to take the two at that point. And often that happens in the first five or 10 minutes of a game or something like that. But when someone gets sinned in 10 minutes out from half time and a team takes a kick, that's not playing footy. It's not playing what's in front of you. And you see that on the weekend, we had a really good example where Mitchell Moses um, corked his leg really badly. I'm not sure if you saw the Sharks and Para game, but yeah, I did. Moses like corked his leg real bad and went out to the right wing. And that attack from the Sharks did not go out to that, that side. You know, and it's like if, if you've got mm. playmakers that you release the reins from and you allow them to actually make plays instead of going on a structure, you know, Jonathan Thurston and, and Andrew Johns, these good halves, even the, the big five eights like a, a Lockyer um, or even the hookers like a Smith or certainly a Fittler who we'll talk about a bit later in one of our um, topics, but they would have gone, you know, Moses is on the right, Moses is on the right and known that he was limping because he was limping for five minutes really badly. And, they, mm. and that's when you would have just seen five plays down that side at Moses, bang, 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 bang. And they would have really tested it. That's what happened in Origin a few years ago is when Andrew Johns went mental at full time and was yelling and everything because Thurston won that game with a, buff, with a dislocated shoulder. Yep. And he just went in the box and went, he played the whole half carrying his arm and no one ran at him. No one tackled him and was throwing his arms going, what's going on? And Queensland won the series. And, and you know, an old half watching was like, what is going on? Like they've got this 33-year-old half with a dislocated shoulder <laughs> and they're not only not running at him, like he's also their best player. And the fact that they're not running at him means he's got the energy and the, you know, is staying physically on the field to run their plays and kick the winning goal. And it, it was very similar where that wasn't the preconceived game plan. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's good. It's, I don't want to go over on, on Newcastle yet, but they're running. It's great to see Andrew giving the reins to a team's attack. He didn't have that at Parramatta or Manly or East. He was a small part in a big system. And he's come here and got to have a lot of say in how they play. And I hope it does work because 
coaches, when something works, you know, someone sneezes, everyone gets a cold. If, if it works and Newcastle go well this year, we'll see some more teams starting to try and bring it in. And I think that would be good for the game. Oh, so it will be. Crossed. I mean, the yeah. only other thing that we need to do is do like what the Walker brothers have done before and bring in the offloading at will, you know, and then yes. we'll really get yes. to see some some good open attack and stuff. And I mean, I think that probably what was happening last year as well, when you were actually talking about attack in the NRL, what was happening last year too, kind of, in a way, made teams lazy. Like, because yeah. attack could come so easily and it was so evident that there was a winger in 20 metres from the sideline or, you you know, they were shot because of the five, six agains that they've just gotten. Yeah. You know, it, it was just so easy. And it was easy for a team like Manly with someone like the talent of like a turbo just to carve them up. Whereas you didn't really have to be smart with your attack or think about it much. You know, you could just sort of run through the motions a lot of the time and get the results. Yeah, it's just momentum. Moment last year, mm-hmm. you had momentum, you scored points. And yeah, I'm really enjoy. I'm going to enjoy watching them. They're a good example of seeing, I'm sure they can overcome that with the players they've got mainly, but it's going to be a good challenge to see how they go about adapting and um, getting it back on track. It's been a really interesting season thus far. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, so that's that's round two done and dusted. And also a little segment on talking about how the attack's starting to change. The next one is about TPJ. You know, is TPJ a loose cannon or is he an asset, Luke? Now, this is going to be my controversial segment of the podcast because I know I know what a lot of people say about Tavita Pangai Jr. You know, on the weekend, we saw it again where he went extremely hard the first five minutes to the point five, six minutes in. He was pretty gassed and he was going out of the line to smash people. He was throwing extra arms into tackles where he went... The first swinging arm, which you get away with, and then he went for the second one, and he also attacked the the kicker, which was you know almost a penalty, but not quite. Uh, people, you know, I think he got put on report that game as well. Didn't get charged, thankfully, and it was generally just going absolutely crazy for the whole time he was on there, just going after people. Now, a lot of people in the media, fans, commentators, you know, didn't like it. Thought, oh no, you know, he has to rein it in. He's a bit of a loose cannon. Obviously, he has a very long rap sheet where, you know, on average, TPJ is missing half a dozen games a year. And it's normally suspension, not injuries that are affecting that. So certainly I get people looking at him as a loose cannon. I'm going to controversially say, though, he is an asset. And here's my thinking. Keen to see what you reckon. But I think it gets lost a little bit, especially on some um, newer rugby league fans or, or current ones that have seen the game a little bit more sanitized, probably how important it is to have one of these guys in your pack and certainly in your team. And like, you don't want a guy, it, it, I'll say it's always a very fine line, right? It's a fine line to being a tough guy an intimidator, someone the opposition fears to overstepping the line and becoming a grub. Okay. You don't want to be a grub, but you really want to push the limits there. You know, you, you want guys to be scared of you. And you, you want to intimidate guys. And if you don't have one of those guys in your team, it doesn't work. Like, mm. you're not going to be successful. All the great teams have them. You know, I remember, you know, going back to the, the, the Roosters days when, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, you had an Adrian Morley there. You know, Sam Burgess in that South Pack. You always have these guys in those really good teams that other teams fear. If you don't have that, then you're lacking. Every pack needs some of these guys. Jared Weir Hargraves, you know, he's very hated by a lot of fan fan groups in the last sort of decade. But when he was good and he prime, he was a really important part of that, that Roosters pack. TPJ is the same to me. You know, you can't have five TPJs packing into your scrum. But you need one or two of them. If you don't have one or two of them, you, your footies team is lacking. 
And the other team, I tell you what, likes that you don't have one or two of them. Because I know when I played as well, you know, you always had those guys too. And I'd look at those packs as another forward and go far out. Like I'd, I'd really, I'd rather not run the ball at this bloke. I'd rather not tackle this bloke. I'd rather that bloke was off. Mm. because, you know, you, you do get worried about it because they can put on a big hit and they're going to come after you and they, you know that they're going to come at you hard. Yeah. You've got to have that. So if TPJ does change his game, like some fans and, and the media is trying to say you need to, I think you lose all the good stuff about him. And that's one of those give and take scenarios for me. If you don't let him do this stuff, it is going to fly, you know, a bit close to the sail sometimes and sometimes he is going to overstep it. But if he's not doing that stuff he's not going to give you the good stuff. You're not going to get anything out of it. So to me, you've got to get, it's a bit of give and take. Uh, so I really see him as an asset. And I think it's getting a little bit overstated now how much some of these guys need to rate it in. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I really like Pangai. I, I, think, I think it's really good. Another impact that it has on your team, it's not just what it does to the opposition. It's what it does for your team. When, when, when you're under the pump a bit, you... Anyone who's played sport knows what it, when they see someone like that can how much it can fire your whole team up when someone comes out and puts a wax a shot on, or or takes a big run. It doesn't just make the opposition take notice. It can really lift the whole momentum of your side and pick everyone else up when they're flat and get them back in the game. And um, there's guys over the years, you know, Morley's a great example. Burgess is one. Ben Kennedy at Newcastle and Paul Harrigan were probably the best two the Knights have had for that over time. Um, and you know, it, it's it doesn't just take down the opposition to peg or worry them. It lifts your team in a way that when they're not there, you don't feel as strong. And when they run, take a run or a hit like that, everyone all of a sudden, the next run's always big. Well, the next tackle, someone else whacks someone, you know what I mean? They all get on the back of it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fond of him. I think, I think there's a bit of bias in this because he's so so obviously aggressive like he swings his arms and he yells in the opposition's faces and he's a blunt instrument like he runs flat like I, I don't hear as many people say this about Victor Radley who is just as suspended as Pangai I don't hear as many people say oh he's so loose I hear it a lot on, on, on tackle, <laughs> tackle, tackle style yes but I don't hear people getting around saying oh like he's a complete nutbag and he's got to change his game and he's suspended as much so they'll say high tackling but he, he's he's not as it's not as spectacular as Pankai's does. You know, it's so obvious what he's doing is violent. Um, he's a massive unit too. So I think that's it. why yeah, he stands it, it, out it a little more. Yeah, he's this hulking unit in the middle. And he's not, Radley's such a clever player in other ways that it doesn't, you don't hear them saying he's as loose a unit as Pangai is, even though he's suspended as much. That's all. But um, I mean, Crichton's another one. Crichton gets suspended all the time for little things because they're not big, violent, um, obvious incidents. You don't see it. Um, if you allow me a little bit of a rant, um, uh, my, I, I think Pangai suffers a little bit from what I call like the, the competition and the media have this weird obsession with like wooing middle-class mums. What's what I call them. It's like, is this, uh, I was about to go on this rant. Yeah, so I'm glad um, that you're going to start it, it. it. It's just this, this way of trying to, the, of trying to make the game look appropriate to what, um, a nice middle-class mum in the suburbs might want to take her kid to this week. And next week, the middle-class mum will take her kids to the Swans. And the week after, they'll be at the basketball and then they might go to a Tigers game. And if the Tigers win, they might come back. But if there's this, you know, if it's a crap game, they'll be, they'll be at some other sport the next week. Like these sort of fickle audiences that come in and out 
and we'll be watching Buddy, then they'll be watching Andrew Bogut because he's come back, then it might be the Tigers. And they need to understand that that's, that that isn't the core fanship of the game. They're not the people who sustain the game. They're welcome to come and watch and enjoy it. But you've got to stop trying to change things about rugby league to make sort of audiences who will never be loyal to it follow it. That Those sorts of people that live in, you know, that are like that, if they live in West Sydney, if the Tigers are winning the comp, they'll go to the games and they won't when they're not. You know, if the Roosters are winning the comp, they'll go then, but they won't if they're coming last. But what you actually have to, that not, they're not the core fans that are there all the time and you can't try and change what we all love about it to woo these people who will abandon you when some something else is topical. Next Soccer yeah. World Cup, they won't be watching the league. They'll be watching the Soccer World Cup and they'll be taking their kids to watch all of that. And that's all fine. I'm not having a go at them, but stop trying to change things we like to appeal to them because people yeah. who really, I do not know anyone who really likes rugby league who doesn't like seeing the sort of stuff Pango does. Like they might hate it in a way that they yell at him and don't like him, but that's theatre. I don't mean they hate what he does. They might be going for the other team and I might be watching it and screaming when he's whacking a Knights player and telling him to F off and everything. But that's part of the rugby league, right? Like I hate where Hargraves, but I don't hate what he does in the sense of I, I hate him as theatre when I watch them play the Knights. I, lo- <laughs> I love the other week when, when he, he took a look at Jacob Saifidi and dropped one and you're like, that's for all the shots you've whacked us with. <laughs> like, caught that. And you know what I mean? The game wouldn't be better for not having him in it. Like for having, if every forward was Aiden Tolman, no offense to him, by the way, great player, had a very distinguished career. That wouldn't be as interesting, right, as watching Jared Weir Hargraves and, and Pangai line each other up off the fence and stuff like that. We'll remember that. And Chief V Spud back in the 90s. And, um, you know, there's been a lot. James Graham had a great run with Burgess for a couple of years where he went mm-hmm. after him. And these things is what actual fans of rugby league like. And the game needs to stop courting casual fans that won't they will not stay loyal to you anyway at the expense of what we like about it because at the moment all i see is you what i watch a game of football and if it looks violent there's a penalty like without looking at it they go oh i don't know what rule that breaches but it was very violent and aggressive so i'm going to penalize it i see that a lot and and that's the thing with pango you watch it and you think that looks aggressive and violent and for some reason we're going to have to find something wrong with it when when it, it hasn't if it doesn't hit him in the head and it's not super late then who cares, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the NRL's got a lot to answer for for me with all of this stuff. Like, mm. don't serve these people a halibut and call it a steak. Just give them the red meat, and if mm. they don't want to eat it, they can go to a fish house instead of a steakhouse. Like, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much what the NRL does. They try and change what the game oh. is and package it up to say, oh, here you go. But really, it's this thing over here, and they're trying to just dupe these casual fans. It's a real. Oh, if you, a, yeah, it is. If you like, that's sorry to get. If you if you don't like violent contact, you're not going to sound like you're just not going to watch rugby league. Like you can get rid of pain guy all you want. It is a violent, like nasty contact sport, and that's what it is. And as long as I don't want to see people hit in the head, and I don't want to see dog shots that injure people when they don't have the ball or attack their legs. But outside of that, that if you don't like seeing men belt each other then i'm sorry you are watching the wrong sport and we're not going to get rid of that <laughs> you know? uh it, it does come down to the core of it and yeah. look I, I will I, I will finish off that little discussion or, or we'll say luke's rant on um on saying it really does uh, annoy me too and if you haven't listened to this podcast very much you know one of the reasons why i do the talking footy episodes is because it's meant to be talking footy and it's meant to be unbiased and from a fan's point of view and also from, you know, footy players' point of views and stuff. But a lot of the time in the media, you're not going to hear 
it's going to be quite biased for different reasons. A lot of the time when you talk to the NRL, it's going to be totally biased. You're not going to get honest opinions on footy. If you talk to fans, I think that you do. And that's what this podcast is about. So I've just kind of tried to soften the blow of what I'm about to say here because the NRL <laughs> isn't going to like it. Uh, and it's certainly not the marketing line. But let me tell you something. Rugby league is not safe. But let me tell you something else. Rugby league will never be safe because of the reasons that Luke said. It is a contact sport and you're always going to have people like TPJ going in to try and hurt people. Now, as a previous forward, when I played, uh, I can tell you 100%, every tackle I went into, I went into hard and I went in to hurt someone. Now, some people are going to be aghast at that and I don't want to offend anyone. I'm not saying that I wanted to break someone's leg. I'm not saying that I wanted someone in hospital, but I am going in to bruise someone's ribs. I am going in to hit someone so they know that I'm there uh, and you are. And every single player... None of them will say it to the media probably when it's on Fox Sports or something, but every single Ford is going in to hit everyone as hard as they possibly can and inflict damage because that is how you win a Ford battle. You dominate the other side physically and you get on top of them. And what it does, you know, it wears you down physically because when you're getting hit harder and harder and you're getting hurt, you've got some bruised ribs, you've got a bruised hip, someone smacked you across the chest, it takes its toll on you. And if you have guys like TPJ... Bradley um, and the guys from yesteryear that we spoke about, it inflicts damage. And that is what all these forwards are trying to do in a completely legal way. But when you peel it back, it's what the game is. You have 13 men on 13 men trying to hit each other as hard as they can to assert physical dominance, which then allows them to play better football and to win a football game. That is rugby league. Don't try and change it. Don't try and sugarcoat it. That is what it is. And it is why people like TPJ will always be really important to teams probably more respected in teams than what they are outside of it with some fans. But if you don't have those guys, you're going to be in trouble. I'm going to finish off by using an example here, Luke. West Tigers, current starting lineup for this week. Joe O at lock, Garner and Leilua on the edges, Little in the middle, Tamau and Yutakamanu as the props. No one is going to be scared of that pack at all. None of those guys are big hitters. None of those guys are going to really hurt you. And every single pack would lick their lips when they're coming up against those guys. That is what you don't want. If you're in a, if you're a pack, you want a TPJ in that pack. You want an Adrian Morley in the 2000s in that pack. You want a Sam Burgess in that pack. That's a great example of a pack that actually needs one of those guys. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, they, they do. They make they make all the difference. Uh, um, Andrew Johns was once asked who would win out of the 97 Knights and the 2001 Knights in our comps, and he was like 2001. They're like why? And he's like because we had Ben Kennedy. That's the difference. Like we, you know, whatever differences there were, we had Ben Kennedy, and he made that difference. Like he would just make sure, like having a forward and enforcing forward, like that is what wins your games. All other things being equal, when you've got the great players in your teams, you know, once you get to the last four in the finals, Nathan Cleary is going to be playing. We know that. Like Penrith will be there. Melbourne will have Hughes and Munster and those guys, right? The Roosters, if they're, you know, when they're good, they're going to have Kiri and Walker and Tedesco, but you know the forwards will decide who gets more chances, right? Mm. Like in those games, whose pack stands up and whose forward pack puts it on and gets the dominant is going to make the difference over whether Cleary and Luai can set up more tries than Kiri and Tedesco. That That is the difference because if if Cleary and those guys get 10 shots at East, 
in the 20, they're going to win the game. But if the Roosters get 10 shots, they'll win the game. They're all good enough to unlock the other defences. And it's those forward packs and having really aggressive, strong players in it, the guys that win that middle. And that, and to be honest, that's where Manly fell over in the finals last year. They got in there off that quick competition that was played. Um, this isn't an attack on Manly. They played great last year. But when they got in the big games, they they when it was equal, when they actually had to play teams that could go with them, they their forward pack was not able to get them up in the right positions of the field often enough. They just weren't. They were blown off the park and, and weren't able to hold that that middle. And, and it hurt them. It's, it's a really good point with Manly because like you last year's grand final, you know, Manly wasn't in it. You'll never see a grand final with two weak forward packs. You could have a star-studded back mm. line that are all representative players. And if they have a weak forward pack, they're not going to make it to the grand final. You know, and you never see it. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why people like TPJ really have a spot in the game and why maybe toning down or changing his game or sanitizing him too much really needs to, you know, be put in context a little bit, because if you want him to be aggressive and to hit guys and to be a big hitter and to go in hard, you can't ask a player like TPJ to do that. And then say, but by the way, never get suspended because it's not going to happen. You don't get one without the other. This is a great opportunity just to take a moment to tell you all about a fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Top Sport topsport.com.au go straight there or download the app topsport if you haven't heard of them before is 100 percent australian-owned bookmaker they have often some of the best odds in market that you will see and they take really great care of their customers we do have a special promo code for all stars podcast listeners sc all stars all one word pop that in the promo code when you actually create an account with topsport and they'll take really good care of you as one of the listeners of the podcast one of the other great things that Topsport does have is markets for fantasy point scoring. Now, it's not exactly the same as Supercoach, but it's pretty similar. They've got player performance markets. If you go to the player performance tab in each game, normally those markets aren't up until the day of the game, so don't get discouraged if you go in there and can't find them now. But definitely the day of the game or the day before, you'll see player performance markets pop up. And what they are is some individual fantasy score markets. Like, for example, last week there was over-under on Fafita scoring above 50.5. You can have a look at the half a dozen things that equate to points on that, like 0.1 points per run meter and so forth, and have a bit of a go on that. But it's very similar to Supercoach, so you can almost bet on Supercoach. Uh, just have a look at the point scoring system to get an idea on it. But that's a lot of fun too because you can do on uh, all these bets on fantasy scoring and stuff on Top Sport now, which is great. So jump on Top Sport, www.topsport.com.au. Use the promo code SC All Stars to open an account today. Let's move on, Luke. When we're talking about controversial calls or how we look at the game, Jane and Sewer had a sin bin on the weekend, uh, one of the two Dragons sin binnings. The other one was seemed very fair. Uh, I was really pleased that uh, a lot of the media and fans actually had a similar opinion on the sewer sin bin as what I did, that it was complete overreaction. A couple of little stats for everyone. 0.1 second difference between when that ball was passed and when that hit actually occurred. 0.1 seconds, according to Fox Sports. That is no time at all. Anyone who's played any sport, you cannot even your brain does not even register that something has changed in that small amount of time. If you actually, when I watched it at first, even in real time, I thought, wow, that's going to be a tough penalty. You kind of live with it because you know how the NRL are with these type of things, but you live with the penalty begrudgingly. A sin bin is way over the top. And I thought it was horrendous that got called. It ended up being a four point game. So that makes it even worse. But, you know, it's, it's really given away to this whole thing where, the NRL has these edicts that they decide that they want to 
throw out there in Spruik and one of them is protecting playmakers. And that's one that's come and gone many times over the years. And it's one that I've always disagreed with to a degree. Uh, I thought that it's being overstated um, because to me, you have someone like Jaden Sewer whose job it is to hit someone and yeah, you can't tell him, oh, by the way, Jaden, you've, you've actually bent down. You've put your shoulder in a position to tackle a guy that he's holding the ball in his hands but by the time you got 0.1 seconds away from him, he's actually decided that he is going to throw it. You can't do that. You know, he can't do his job then. Jaden Sewer can't be a football player because football players cannot adjust that sort of tackle. Anyone who's played sport at speed knows that. I can tell you three metres from taking a hit up, I wouldn't even know what was going to happen because I had my eyes closed at the time of impact, you know, right beforehand. It is that fast and that hard in the impact. You, and you can't not hit playmakers. Like, again, Jaden Sewer's job, don't let that playmaker dummy and run through. Don't make them have as much time as they can. It's not touch football where you're going to stand off them three metres and wait to see what they're going to do. You do that, you're going to lose your job as a football player. And it's also really poor rugby league. It's not how you play the game because it doesn't work. So I thought, I felt really bad for Jaden Sewer on the weekend. I thought it was rightly called out. Um, and the predicting, you know, the protecting playmakers is another thing altogether with this that we're going to unpack slightly. But Sewer sin bin, mate. I, I thought it was absolutely abysmal. What did you think on it? What yeah, I didn't take? like it. Um, I think that it comes. That one comes down to the way the referees are coached, and it's they look for certain things, and certain things are a no-no. And when you get a playmaker in the back when they when he's passed to a no-no, that they, they don't look and make judgment calls on whether it was or wasn't that late. They're like, that's what we're looking for is bad. They, they sort of go in with a preconceived idea of that. And, and they're right when they're really late, by the way. That's a shocking tackle when it's five seconds after he passes because it's really quite dangerous. <laughs> oh, 100%. But, but, yep. but that's the point, right? That it's, it's not late. It's like, you know, it's... Um, I think with Sua, where I was getting at is I, referees are coached a lot now. And I, you know they go in looking for certain things and certain players. Um, I'd, challenge, I'd challenge anyone to go back and watch every game of the last, say, five years and find one time Andrew Fafida has got a penalty if, he, if the play ball comes out when he's playing the ball, like for a hand in there or something. It never happens because everyone knows they know Andrew Fafida has a loose play the ball and is loose with his hands and he won't get away with it. And if Andrew Fafida tackles someone and they lose the ball, it's always given penalty. Like before the, the challenges were in, it would always be a penalty because it's like Andrew Fafida's done it. He will have, he does that sort of thing. He's that sort of player. He will have pulled that out. Um, and the reason I bring that up is just they go in with ideas on players and it, it, the Pangai is one who we've just spoken about. Sewer another one they are looking for sewer to solder charge people and to hit them late they're looking for Pangai to hit people late they're looking for radley to hit people high and those guys get they the referees don't just watch the game they go in being tipped off that sewers might do this and that Pangai or, or radley might do this and we've got to watch for that and they take those preconceptions into the game and they don't get away with stuff um you know not to pick on Melbourne, but I've always felt Melbourne got the the rub for a long time is they didn't have a lot of those sorts of players and you'd see them do something and you go, I'm sorry, but when I was watching last night and Andrew Fafita did that, you were coming out with a different decision. But when it's Melbourne who they don't have that reputation, do you know, do you know what I mean? It's, 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 yep. it's always yep. been that way, I think. And they look for certain players on the field and they know that if he's involved, it's probably one thing or the other. So I, I think if it wasn't Jaden Sewer, I, I think if, if Zach Lomax did it, I don't think he would have gone to the bin. Um, that's the thing. See, that so that makes sense for yeah. me with the penalty, but when you have a video review of it, which it's, is yeah, able ridiculous. to take its time mm. with it and decide, 
you know, I, I get that it's an overreaction and a penalty, and to, to a degree, some of that's going to be human nature that you can't help. You, there's even an argument, well, it's, it's some of your fault for having that yeah, reputation. Yeah, yeah. But that's for a penalty, you know, not for a sin bin that actually gets reviewed and has time to be looked at and stuff. And what I would probably say as well is that it was a, a legal tackle. You know, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the actual tackle, even Benny's body to go and hit him with his shoulder lower. It mm. wasn't, you know, there, there was nothing wrong with the actual hit. So uh, to me, if they're reviewing stuff and they're getting it wrong like that, uh, I, mm. I do think it's a, it's a really big concern. But the protecting playmakers edict that's been thrown out, you know, I, I've always had issues with that. And I'm going to give people an example to try and help with Jane and Sewer, you know. I've had, one of the reasons I have an issue with the protecting playmakers stuff is why do you need to protect playmakers for? You know, why is a playmaker any more special than a lock forward? Why is a playmaker any more special than, you know, a fullback? You know, why do they get this protection? Because every single position on the field and every single style of player has their own, you know, big positives and big strengths on the field and also big weaknesses. You know, a forward might be able to hit a lot harder, but it's also a lot harder for a forward to tackle, you know, a Mitchell Moses in open space one-on-one because Mitchell Moses is a lot faster. You know, it's to say that we're going to protect our playmakers, you know, it's that's not rugby league. It's a game of footy. You play by the rules, and if someone doesn't play by the rules, you penalise them. But don't overcomplicate it by saying, well, because that's a number seven, we're going to give a penalty there. But if it was, you know, another player that passed it that was from the forward pack, for instance, with all these, you know, locks that are starting to get in the defensive line, we don't, we don't care about that because he's a lock. I'm going to give you a really good example here, you know, and it's, it's a big bugbear of mine as someone who used to be a forward. Victor Radley, he's six foot tall, 92 kilos. Nathan Cleary, best halfback in the game, often talked about needing protection. Six foot tall, 92 kilos. If Victor Radley gets hit in the line, it happens all the time. No one cares at all. Cleary gets hit in the line, got to protect our playmakers. They are the same bloody size. So why are we doing this? You know, as a game, we really overcomplicate things. And to me, the protecting the playmaker stuff has always been a little bit brain dead and a little bit of a PR exercise more than an actual rugby league exercise. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any need to have a special rule. It's just I, if it, you can't hit them well after they've passed the ball, but there's a margin for error. And if you, you know, if he's passed the ball and you've had time to think about it, gone through and slotted him, I have no problem with them penalising him. And if it's just after he's passed, and that's the, the price you pay for going into the line. Um, and that's why it takes good halves to go into the line. You, you should be hitting them. And if I'm coaching rugby league, I'm not letting a fill-in halfback filling in for Nathan Cleary, you know, Sullivan just dig into the line and run the play how he wants. He needs to know he's in first grade. And if, he, if he's mm. going to bring it in the line, he needs to know he's going to get hit and, and see if he wants to keep coming. Um, and good on him if he does. We're going to keep hitting him. But if he wants to – and the good ones do keep coming. That's the thing. Um, and they and, expect and it, that's, right? Like they yeah, expect that yeah. to happen if they're a yeah. half. Yeah, you got to get hit. If you if you if it's late, if it's late, it's just not complicated. If they're late, they're late. But that's not late. And putting him in the bin doesn't disincentivize someone else to make that tackle because you can't pull out. Then it doesn't matter what penalty you're given. If you can't pull out, you can't pull out. So next time, the guy's still going to hit him because he might he might have ran the ball. Like he could have run the ball, at which point it would have been a completely legal tackle, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's probably a really good point and something to like really finish on the sewer topic. Yeah. You know, if if you're going to say to someone that's a sin bin, like it's actually that much worse than a penalty that you're going to sin bin, then you need to give some guidance as to well, what what do you want that player to do? How are you going to rehabilitate them? Cuz that that could have ended up a suspension, it didn't thankfully. But if it does, you know, what are you going to say to sewer 
and to the other forwards that play Sewer's position. What is he meant to do in that exact scenario? Like, I'd like the NRL and the match review committee and the referees to put their coach's hat on and say to that player, this is what you should do instead. Because I tell you what, the reason I say that is because their options are don't tackle the player. <laughs> you know, that's what you do instead to avoid it because you can't pull out of it. You, you can, and, you know, the only other thing to do is just to let the player do whatever they want. And, mm. and you obviously can't do that and play rugby league. So I reckon that's a really good question to always ask with these type of things. What could that player, in this case, Jane and Sewer, actually done differently to not do that next time? Yeah. Last topic, and it's a big one. Phil Gould recently um, was asked about his next immortal. What was his pick? And he said someone that I think wasn't taken that well by a lot of the rugby league community, but I was like, hallelujah, I'm glad that finally someone has mentioned his name. And that was Brad Fittler. Now, obviously, Phil Gould and Brad Fittler have a long-standing relationship. Uh, obviously, they are both on Channel 9. So it is reasonable and somewhat expected that a lot of uproar came about. Um, and a lot of people sort of said that it was a bit biased for him to say Brad Fittler. Brad Fittler isn't a name that's generally thrown out there either. So certainly, you know, a lot of people, and it is subjective. So, you know, it's not like anybody's wrong. You know, if people don't think that Freddie should be the next immortal, fine. But the names that are thrown up there are always interesting to me because you always have Jonathan Thurston thrown up there. Uh, Darren Lockyer is another one. And obviously in the future, it's going to be Cameron Smith, but he's not removed enough yet for that to happen. But you get these other names thrown up there and Brad Fittler was right up there with these guys. So I've always been at pains as to why Brad Fittler wasn't put in the conversation of immortality. Um, I do kind of wish that someone other than Phil Gould brought it up, but nonetheless he did. So let's unpack a little bit about the Brad Fittler immortality debate and, and whether he should actually be in the running. First of all, when we're having a look at his you know, stats, he ended up playing 16 seasons, which is a lot, 166 tries across 448 first-class games. So that included rep games and stuff. Basically meant that he was playing, including rep games, about 27 games a year on average as well across 16 years. So longevity was definitely, definitely there. Um, along with that, when you're looking at his milestones, you know, two premierships, 91 and 2002, several kangaroo tours where he captained the side 25 times, uh, Dallium Centre of the Year, Dallium Lock of the Year, Dallium Fifate of the Year, Proman Summers Medal winner, Rugby mm. League Player of the Year, Golden Boot Award winner for Player of the Year. It, he really did do it all, Freddie, um, and he did it across a stellar career. He's also the most capped New South Wales player, and he also captained both country and state, as well as his club for the majority of his career. So I'm, I am someone, Luke, that sort of thinks that, you know, with all the accolades that he does have and all the achievements that he does have, he probably doesn't get spoken about enough. And when you actually compare some of those numbers to the other guys in the game that are talked about, you know, I think that it very much does stack up as far as even just looking at his achievements. Yeah, absolutely. Brad Fittler should always be in the conversation. Um, if, you know, you've you got to have opinions. So if someone wants to come at me, come at me. But he was a better player than Mal Meninga. And I don't believe that anyone who was watching them both play would think otherwise, to be honest with you. Um, just because, apart from anything else, he played positions more in his career that allow you to influence the game more. In, in the 80s and 90s, centres couldn't possibly have the influence that Brad Fittler had on teams. Um, Mal was a great centre but he played centre and, and Brad Fittler was moving into the lock and the halves and able to be the main player on his, on his team um, when they, when they, you know, in very good sides. I think there's, there's probably two things. I'll go first on what the, the problem with Fittler's, uh, why Fittler doesn't get talked about. Um, 
So I think the reason Fittler doesn't get talked about a lot is because you've got to be anointed at some point as the one. Um, there's a, there was an undisputed time in the game when Andrew Johns was the best player and nobody had an opinion that he wasn't, quite genuinely. Like, just nobody really argued it. Um, there was a time in the game where everyone just accepted, and by everyone, maybe not you and I, but everyone accepted Cameron Smith was the best player. There was a time when it was Thurston. Um, and you can go back through history and there's always a time for most players in our time were just anointed for a while, even if it's only a couple of years. Brad Fittler was in the top three players for 16 years, but there's not an obvious time. At the start of his career, he was, and he was you know, picked for Australia when he was a, still a kid and already in the test side, but that was sort of Brandy Alexander's team. When he starts hitting his peak, it's Laurie Daly and Ricky Stewart are probably still, the, they're, they're in their peak and Freddie's hitting his early peak and they're considered to be the best players in the world and Fittler's right up there with them, like in that top three. Then they fade and it becomes sort of the Andrew Johns era um, with Darren Lockyer around as well. And Fittler's still there, like in the top two or three players where you would say all through this time, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, there's, there's Daly, there's Langer and Stewart and there's Fittler. And then you go in a couple of years and you go, oh, it's Joey but then Fittler and then it's, you know, Lockyer and Joey and Fittler and all the way through there, he's in that top little glut right at the top. So there's never been this period where he got anointed as the king of the game where he was better than everyone. But I I think that's silly because he was like, for like, he lasted longer than all of those players. He debuted pretty much only a year or two after Laurie Daly and was good like five years after Laurie Daly retired. (laughs) And, you know, he, he was good, like, he was good. He was the same age as Andrew Johns, basically. Like he's a couple of years, if not much. And he was good like four years earlier. And he was the captain of the test side when Andrew Johns was debuting, despite being like a year older than him and stuff like that. Um, and he was still good. Like realistically, he retired in 2004. Andrew Johns was starting to fall off in 2005. And Fitlett only just retired, you know. So um, I think... It's silly, but I think that's the reason why not. As for the reason why it should be, um, one of the best things you can all do, not to plug my own uh, podcast, is you should go watch old games. They're a great guide. I I watch old games and you go, Jesus Christ, he's sticking out. Um, And and I've watched games where Brett Kenny's won in the 80s, so he doesn't get talked about a lot. I watch every time I watch a Parramatta game, you just go, Jesus Christ, look at this bloke, like far out. And, and Fittler is one of those. When I've watched the old games, um, and they're not always ones they won. I've watched them get beaten by Penrith in the grand final. I've watched as a lose, New South Wales lose Origins when Freddie was there. And he's just every time on the circle this where you go in big games and Origins and everything else, you keep going, crap, Fittler looks good. And geez, when they were down, Fittler came through. Um, he shows up like in that way all the time. And, and it's really noticeable that some players have done that. And I've got to, I've, it's one of the best things about watching the old games I've got to do is seeing I found out a lot about older players even before my time. Kenny's the big one. Every time I watch him, I was like, Jesus Christ. They're no wonder the old people love Brett Kenny. You're like, yep, yeah, okay, he should be in the conversation. And and that's when I watch those games, Fittler is just fantastic in, in a large, large number of them. Um, you've given all the stats. A, a big one to throw in his cap is how good he was as a captain. He, he led Australia to the World Cup win in 1995 when no Super League player was allowed to play in the, in the World Cup. Australia self-sabotaged by not picking any Super League player at all. That meant no Brett Mullins, no Ricky Stewart, no Alan Langer, no Kevin Walters, no Glenn Lazarus, no Wendell Saylor. Like, you're getting the idea. I won't keep going. But like, <laughs> that's, the, that's the level of player that they pulled out. And they pulled in guys like Hopper Wati played, Danny Moore played, um, you know, Robbie Davis came into the squad, um, 
Gary Larson, all these guys, not bad players and not people I'm bagging, Jim Dimmick, but they played with a side that would be no chance of beating the players that weren't picked. Um, I think 17 of the 30 kangaroo tourists from 1994 didn't go. Um, and, and so that's sort of the situation. He won the World Cup with all those guys out as a captain in his early 20s. He, he took over the captaincy, you know, of New South Wales and had a very successful era in that as well. When he went to the Roosters, what people need to understand is that the Roosters were gunk. It's not these Roosters. It's not like Tedesco going to the Roosters and winning a comp, which you could make an argument for saying that he's a great player, but he had to join a good team. Um, I'm not saying I'm making that argument, but you could, right? That they were very good. And he went there and he iced the cake. The Roosters then were like, they were sort of like the Bulldogs are at the moment um, or Souths were in the early 2000s. I can acknowledge that they, they weren't very good. <laughs> they, they stunk. They, they, they were always down the bottom of the table. They weren't any good. And their way out was they signed Phil Gould and they went marquee on Fittler in a similar way to, I'll, I'll tell you a good example. When the Knights sucked, the way they went all in on, on a Pierce and Ponga. That's where the Roosters were a bad side and they went all in on a gun and said, righto, let's see if he can be the one for us. So he took a team from down the bottom. They made the finals every time he was there, and he built a dynasty, he built a team that went to multiple grand finals. You know, they went to the grand final um, in 2000. They went to the grand final threes in a row a couple of years after that, and, and that's all on the back of, of Freddie. He built that. He went there when they were nothing and built his team. He, he wasn't in a glamour club. He made them the glamour club. He made them what they are. And, you know, I don't think there's any argument he's in that conversation. I hate picking who should be because it like, I mean, if they pick Jonathan Thurston for the next immortal, so be it. He was an absolute gun. If they, I, I wouldn't pick Lockyer personally, but he was a gun. I mean, I would not, that's not a ridiculous thing to do, but Brad Fittler absolutely should be in that category and being spoken about in that level of player. Brett Kenny's another, and we should be debating all of them and whoever gets it, so be it, but he does not get talked about enough at all. Yeah. And it's a really good point on the Rooster sides. Cause I think a lot of the people, people that especially weren't around in the nineties to see Fittler go across and what he did to that club just assume that it's the the Roosters that were the glamour club that had all the big signings and got all everybody and it it wasn't really like that 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 was Manly at the time Manly were the the glamour club that had all the big signings and the rep players a lot of guys played rep football after they after they played with Brad Fittler you know you've got the Matt Sings the Shannon Hegarty's and these types that actually became long-term representative players after playing with Freddie and that was no coincidence. There's also no coincidence that they did not much at all in their careers after Brad Fittler or after they left that club playing with Brad Fittler. Uh, and that's one of the big things with him. He always made everyone better. And for these teams like, and I'm going to start to compare some players, um, you know, Cameron Smith, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to argue or debate with anyone that wants to say Cameron Smith is one of the greatest of all time. That's fine. But when you're actually comparing it, you know, Cameron Smith had an all-time great spine and he had, you know, three players, other players probably that he's played with that people will argue should be immortals anyway. And we're not going to debate that. But Brad Fittler had no one that anyone is even remotely talking about needing to be an immortal. And Cameron Smith had a few of them. Cameron Smith was also in an origin team that's the greatest of all time and was in an Australian team, which, again, is considered one of the best of all time for a lot of the period that he was playing. And it was a time where international rugby league was actually a lot weaker. Brad Fittler was... And they lost. They lost the lost. Lost World Cup. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Cameron Smith lost yeah. the World Cup. Brad yeah. Fittler had weaker teams, much heavier, more competitive opposition. And he like, he made the most of the teams that he had. He made those mm. guys better. And I don't want to say like he had a few years where there was teams full of role players, but he kind of did. You know, in the early days, guys like Hegarty and Matt Singh, 
even Justin Hodges was a bit of a head case, you know, and didn't really come around when he went to the Roosters. You know, there's a lot of those type of guys that were. I remember some of the props that I used to love. You know, we had guys mm. like Kalis that was there, um, mm. Big Peter Cusack that was there. Cusack and Caddick, Ned Caddick, those guys. Simon <laughs> Benetti was such a great hooker that he retired yeah. at like 25 because he couldn't get another contract after the Roosters, you know, and he was, you know, a, a premiership winner. You know, it's, it is really startling. He, it, Fittler played semi-final games with with Obst. Now, I reckon ninety nine percent of people would not, would not know who Sam Obst was, and he was a starting halfback in, in a finals game for the Roosters. You know, it's, this is the type of stuff that Fittler had at his mm. disposal, and he came up trumps more often than not. And even when he lost, he was very dominant. You know, so again, I'm going to I'm going to compare that to to Cameron Smith, Luke. Like Cameron Smith had everything go his way. You know, he he definitely made players better, but Fittler had far less at his disposal and still has very comparable statistics aside from maybe some of the runs of premierships. Yeah, I think he was he's he's right up there. I think real fans know. Um, and if you work games, like there's there's just stuff you know, right? So like when you go to these days and you go and watch the Roosters run a play or sorry, Manly's a bit, when you watch Manly last year and the ball gets to turbo and everyone just gasps, um, when you used to watch the Roosters uh, back then and you were playing against them, it just used to be, it'd be, I don't know how many times this happened to me. I used to hate Freddie. It used to be like 10 all <laughs> with 10 minutes to go all the time. Cause the Knights had a really good rivalry with them and there'd be 10 minutes left and he'd get the ball and you just go, shit. And he just bangs off his foot past two people and either scores or sets someone up. And you're just like effing Fittler. He hasn't done anything today and he's just done it again. Like he's just won on the game. And all the time, you just knew you get the 10 minutes to go and he gets the ball and everyone just holds their breath because he just used to go bang. That's it. Um, I watched the notes recently from a podcast or a while ago now uh, when in extra time, his captain and he gets it 20 meters out and goes bang, right foot, bang, right foot, bang into the fullback, knocks him over, puts the ball down under the post. And you just go, that's just what he did. It's his whole career. He just got <laughs> the game would get tight and he'd get the ball. And when you weren't going for the roosters or luckily for me, when I was going for New South Wales, you just hold your breath and then bang, he does it. And and everyone knows like there's those guys and there's not the only one. There's those great players when there's, you know, when you get the ball on the line, that you're stuffed when you're the other team. And that used to happen to us so much. I used to think we've kept him quiet today. He hasn't done much. We've got them here and then bang, over all the time. Bang. Yeah, and God he damn really it. Turn yeah. it on. God damn it. And he was so good yeah. at picking and choosing his moments <laughs> yeah. as well. Like, uh, And that's like when we're talking about the ability, and ability is one of the big things when you're choosing an immortal. You know, how good was this guy? What was his game like? I challenge anybody to tell me what Brad Fittler's weakness was on a football field. And that is one of the biggest things for me because you can look at a – you know, some of these other guys, like a Lockyer was defensively not great. Um, Thurston got better, but defensively wasn't great. You can look at all these guys that get thrown mm. up and you could see that there was weaknesses. Fittler didn't have one. You know, when you look at it, the playmaking was incredible. Like he had these lofty bullet passes that would go 30 metres and cut out two players and hit a winger bang on the chest and he would hardly be able to look or have a second to do it. And he did that sometimes multiple times a game. You know, he's kicking was fantastic. His running game was what he was known for, but he was just as good as everything else in attack as what he was at his running game. You know, and if he wasn't running to carve up players and score tries, he scored 166 tries in his career. He he would go in and take a hit up. You know, like and he was he was hard Mm. for anyone to handle in a forward pack. 
when he was playing lock and he'd just take a hit up in the middle and he'd just kill guys. Then defensively, I'm going to use a quote here. Decades passed now, but Wendell Saylor was once asked, who is the toughest player for you to run at? And everyone was expecting him to say Paul Harrigan or Glenn Lazarus, Brad Fittler. Yeah. And the, the, the interview just went silent. No, Brad Fittler. And he's like, yeah. And Wendell sort of gave a little bit of a smirk and a laugh. He's like, mate, like, I'm a winger that's a big guy. I would come in and I'd want to run at half. I'd want to run at a smaller player. I'd play the Roosters and I'd try and run at a half. And Brad Fittler's standing there. And he said, well, I remember the first time I did it, I went in and Fittler just picked me up and absolutely belted yeah. me. And after that, I wanted just to run into their pack. You know, and he was like, defensively, Fittler hit as hard as anybody and he didn't miss you. And he would actually go in and try and hit you like a Ford. And that was someone that was playing at six that could throw just as good of balls as what Thurston could, that could kick fantastically. But you also had to protect your, your line because if he made a run, he was going to be like a Billy Slater going through. Yeah. You know, it, it was just, it's incredible when you actually look at him and you actually evaluate his ability and you go back and watch the games and you try and find something he wasn't good at. And then when you look at the leadership stuff that you mentioned earlier, you know, that's a really big deal. He was a really good leader. He was, yeah. And, he, and everybody spoke about that. And that's the thing. When you talk about somebody's leadership, you know, it's a, it's a really telling sign when everybody that they played with talks so glowingly about what a great leader that they were. But if you watch the games, like Luke said, you'll actually see him lead teams. He will grab the ball and the game by the scruff of the neck and he will get a team a win or he'd die trying. And everybody would follow. Guys that couldn't do things would do things or they'd try and do things and he would pull the whole team along with him. And that included representative teams with a lot of great players in it. So, I mean, on ability alone, Luke, to me, I didn't even ever see a weakness in Freddie. And when you look at someone like Lockyer, you know, great player, probably should be spoken about. But, you know, people talk about Lockyer like, oh, yeah, but he, he played multiple positions and did them both like exceptionally well at five eight and a half. Uh, five eight and, and, and fullback, mate. Fittler won Dalliem Player of the Year as a lock, Dalliem Center of the Year, and Dalliem Five Eight of the Year. He he won in three different positions, <laughs> lock. Mm. And you know what? His impact on a game, whether he was at center, whether he was at lock, or whether he was at six, was just as big. Mm. And then finishing up on the leadership discussion, came out of that Super League era, and you had Darren Lockyer as the Super League captain with Gordon Tallis of maybe a chance of maybe taking it as well, and Brad Fittler. And the game had to choose who the Australian captain was. And Brad Fittler was chosen over Lockyer and over Tallis, and he never lost his captaincy to anybody. He's an excellent captain. He should be right in the conversation. He, he's, yeah, I think you've pretty much said it all. He, he's one of my favourite players sort of of all time, and I don't understand why, why he isn't spoken about. And I think it's the same thing as Kenny as well I, I think a few of the guys now we just get very quick to move to the next generation like that's done you know we anointed joey so we have to do people after now or we've anointed x y and z and we just move forward they don't like to go back i only read last year people saying oh i, I know andrew johns was great but you know it was no cooper cronk and that, that's the that's this this generation's attitude is they don't actually they haven't seen old players play so they don't want to they're not interested in hearing that argument they want to anoint who they saw and and i understand that to a point but it's it's not the answer and it's it, there's proper judges looking at it um he should be shortly like if he's not given it he should be on the short list every time that's the thing and i, I hope he is because he deserves to be and he's as he certainly as close to as good of a player as I've ever watched. Yeah, he's right up there for the best players I've ever seen. Mm. And it's on ability alone and the way that he could impact a game with his play, yeah, he's right up there. 
potentially. Yeah, it was one. nasty. It was just nasty to play against. It's <laughs> it was he was awful. Oh, everybody he was played against Newcastle. Man. It was like, awful. Oh, they just used to he used to pull it out of his backside all the time. And uh, I hated it. We were better than them, I swear to God. And he just used to win all these <laughs> stupid games at the end. And it was just it was it was it was terrible. Um, sometimes it went the other way. We we used to have great shootouts because Andrew Johns used to get right up for it and used to go at him. And sometimes we got him. We played him in the finals about four years in a row. And sometimes we got up, and other times he got us. And it was just uh, every time I was, I knew our team was better, but Fittler just pulled it out of his backside. Oh, look, the <laughs> Jamie so Freddie stuff was great. Oh, it was like, great. That was a really good era. Yeah. If, if and to finish off the conversation on Brad Fittler's immortality, you know, this isn't to say Cameron Smith shouldn't be, Lockyer shouldn't be, you know, Daly shouldn't be, and all these other great players, but it's to say that, you know, it, everyone's got an opinion on it, but Brad Fittler should be right up there with them. And even if you disagree, you know, if you do and you're a newer fan, you know, guys like Cooper Cronk are great players and they should be spoken about. But go and have a look at some of the 90s games. Go and have a look at, at Brad Fittler's career and, and look at those games. Because if you watch them, I challenge anybody to, to come away after watching 20 of Brad Fittler's best games and to try and argue that any of the current players are clearly better than what he was. You know, I, I think that... It's great to do that, like Luke said. You know, look, when Fittler was first started playing, I was only a young kid too. So I had to go back and watch some of the games again. But I, I challenge anyone to do that. It's not bad mouthing the other guys. This is all about Brad Fittler's candidacy that was brought up. And I think that he definitely should be right up there. And, you know, in, in closing, there's the biggest argument is he's better than some of the guys that are in there. <laughs> so how do you not put him in now? You know? Yeah. All right. Well, Luke, that was a great podcast. A lot of fun. Love talking footy with you. If anybody wants to tune into the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, do that. Follow Gaz's Vintage Jerseys on Instagram as well. Luke, always a pleasure, mate. Good luck with the Knights this week. I do hope they lose, though. No, I'm heading off, to, heading off to Bathurst and it'll be great, mate. We're going to win by about 20. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, mate. Well, if anyone wants to download the podcast or stream it, you can now do so on Amazon as well as Audible, but we are always on the trusty Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud too. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Hit up the sponsor of the podcast, topsport.com.au and use the promo code SC All Stars to create an account today. 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. Great service, great odds. Get onto them. But otherwise, guys, TLT for the next round will be out next Wednesday. And then we'll have another Talking Footy podcast in a week's time, dropping on the Friday. Until then, great chatting footy with you. Enjoy this round of footy. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.